0: afternoon and good evening wherever and whenever you may be. And welcome to episode 28 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Hannah Flint.
1: I'm Clarice Lockery. And I'm Mon Woman.
0: This week you make me feel like reviewing your Reefa Franklin biopic. It's got respect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A woman builds a new life for herself. Literally for herself in Dublin based drama. Herself. (laughs) Joe Butler punches his way in and out of jail in action thriller Cop Shop. And finally, A Marriage Gets Torn Apart by Fanaticism in Anne Zora Bereshed's co-pilot. Plus, in this week's Hot Take, with Malignant not being screened for critics, before released, we ask, what difference do we actually make do we make a difference i hope so yeah. a oh, <laughs> please i need the job i've got my kids my kids <laughs> i mean my baby yoda um so yeah we've got a lot to pack in today but first, let's catch up. I'm very intrigued, Clarice, because it was your birthday last Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, but you posted a picture of uh, some cooking books. Yes, And, and uh, can you please tell me more?
1: <laughs> like, I've gotten very into um, cookbooks, like, themed around certain media properties. That's my new niche, it's my new hyperfixation fixation. Because when the pandemic started, I I bought a cookbook that was all the recipes of the food they sell at Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland, um, and I got really obsessed with it and just making like blue milk like <laughs> so for my birthday um, mm. I like asked my family can I get some more like themed cookbooks I love <laughs> so that I got one that is like the, a wider cookbook of recipes that they sell at the Disneyland parks like Mickey pretzels and doll whips and this will mean things to people <laughs>
0: oh, this is so on brand <laughs> and
1: also one Based off my favorite game. Uh, well, my favorite game is Morrowind, but my favorite mm-hmm. other favorite game is Skyrim. Uh, so that's got like the sweet rolls. This will again mean things <laughs> to people. <laughs> the mead, the honey broo meads, um, and I'm just. I haven't cooked anything yet, but I'm very excited to get into it.
0: I feel uh, like we should definitely do if we can at some point like a come dine with me. But each like the- we do a theme, but it's like based on a film from the, oh. the
1: film because I did oh. Lord of the Rings as well I watched the trilogy and I made the Oh, food. I remember yeah <laughs> as,
0: <laughs> you know like
1: as they would be eating Lembas bread I would get my little lembas bread out and I, oh, guys it's so it's so fun <laughs> <laughs> it's very time immersive. to be what chef
2: <laughs> well
0: interestingly I got sent um for Pig the uh masterpiece that we you know that we watched a few weeks ago but I got sent by uh, altitude films like a like a truffle result set. And I made it, and it was really good. And I was Hopefully. like, oh, could I host Pig Night? <laughs> and I've also not eaten pork since.
2: <laughs>
0: Amon, mm. have you been cooking up any movie-themed delicacies this week?
2: I have not. I have not. But I have been watching some very exciting game stuff. Uh, uh, Cruz, you mentioned Skyrim. Uh, there was a PlayStation showcase earlier this week, and they mm. finally revealed the new trailer for uh, God of War Ragnarok, which is the... Follow up to 2018's God of War, which is one of the best games I've ever played. So that was very exciting. Uh, Also, uh, Insomniac, uh, who made uh, the recent Spider-Man games, they announced the sequel Spider-Man 2, uh, which has Venom as the villain. And Venom is going to be voiced by Tony Todd, which is very exciting. Uh, wow. So so yeah, and there's also a Wolf game coming out from Insomniac. All of that is very, very and exciting. And
1: Knights of, of the Old Republic.
2: And there's a Knights of the Old Republic remake. It was it was an awesome showcase, but only so on I've, PS5, so I can't fucking play it. It's your <laughs> no. job, <it's>, you guys, <laughs> o- opted not to get you know, got to go for a different console, PlayStation. I've been a PlayStation guy since PlayStation Two. Actually, no, I, I have PlayStation a PlayStation, PlayStation. I just
1: can't afford the new one. I have the
2: crummy PlayStation 4, so I can't even play
1: I, Cyberpunk. I, I
0: barely I barely finished playing yes. the games on my Nintendo, in Nintendo Switch, but my big <laughs> game news this week is my me and my boyfriend are going to share WarioWare. <laughs> that's, okay. That's what we could and we were like we're like, should we get some couples around so we could do like joints? So if anyone's like mm-hmm. down, we're ready to like do couples competition. It'd be like game night, but hopefully with less murder
2: <laughs> I'm down for that. I'm down for <laughs> that. So when I haven't been enjoying that, I've been re-watching the new trailer for the Matrix Resurrections, which is very exciting. Uh, I actually sort of had my own hot take on Twitter the other day. I believe the Matrix Reloaded and the Matrix Revolutions are a lot better than their bad reputation would suggest. uh People disagree. But I'm right, damn it. I
0: don't, honestly, because it came out so long ago and I was just such a sweet young girl. Um, <laughs> and I just don't remember hating it. And honestly, I think I've rewatched The Matrix a few times, but I definitely think I'm in need of a kind of trilogy rewatch and maybe checking check in on like the animatrix and
2: animatrix matrix is matrix is great. online
0: because it seems from what people are saying and especially the absence of morpheus
2: mm. from
0: the trailer um i mean look it could be sneakily that he is in it and like Lawrence Fisker is <laughs> doing a complaint <laughs> switch but um i think he he like proper kill switch died in, in, in like the uh, uh, the matrix online
1: he but did he got shot by a random assassin in an alleyway and I read
0: it's a bullet that's like got. It's like, oh, they're allowed to respawn. It's like, no, because it's got a kill code in it. It's a very rare one, and no one can come back. Um, I also thought it was very interesting that someone, someone tweeted, um, "Oh my god, they've still got Morpheus' glasses. they brought. They've, they're still around. It's like it's the Matrix. They can just be like, here's my glasses." <laughs> um, but it does look good. Like I'm very excited for it, and also very excited for Carrie and Moss back at yes. 54, like, and just seeing it. She's not just, you know. she could have easily just been replaced or like Mm -hmm. you know aged out and I think we've seen a lot so see her back especially as in a way people would still go see The Matrix and this is no shade to her but just the way that our society is but -hmm. if it was just Keanu as the only one come back he's having such a moment now that Mm -hmm. it wouldn't no one would be like oh there's no Trinity definitely not coming and I just Mm -hmm. don't think it would be the same the other way around maybe it was much fanfare or like people wouldn't produce
1: it I like that Jonathan Groff is in it (laughs) (laughs)
2: that was a nice surprise at the end of the trailer I I didn't Mm. know he
1: was in it or I forgot I think I forgot he was in it I was like yeah (laughs) nice Um,
0: I wanted to add one more thing that we're not going to review but I caught it on Monday and it's out um, it's having a special 4k release it's The Servant and the reason I was interested in it is is because it was one of the films that Bong Joon-ho said was the inspiration for Parasite and watching it, oh, 100%. It's really, really. I, I thought it was. It's in black and white, and I think it's like filmed in 1963, and it's about kind of the kind of dynamics here is that it's actually James Fox's one um, of sadly, uh, the older James Fox not and who also spawned the awful James, uh, <laughs> Lawrence Fox. But um he is his it's his first film role. He has a manservant, uh who's like a kind of from the north, comes down to London and like the dynamics are so well done. It's beautifully shot in this one house and I think it's shot in like one of the Shepparton Shepperton studios, I think it was like shot there, but it's really, really, really good and I highly recommend if people are looking for to go do a little classic
1: and like intense sexual tension in that movie oh my god so intense i
0: was like this is very homoerotic
1: very homoerotic it's it is one of those you know it is one of those movies of the the older era where obviously they couldn't explicitly do that stuff but Mm. they're like let us sneak it in Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) it's just so interesting it's such a beautifully conceived film and everything about it the kind of psychological tension of it you can see what um, you can see where the parasite is like picked up some of the influence so yes recommend that but of course we have some proper film reviews for you this week and we're heading to the US for
2: a little bit of respect how is Aretha doing Aretha's doing
1: alright
2: just alright. Singing is sacred, and you shouldn't do it just because somebody wants you to. What's
1: most important is that you are treated with dignity and respect
0: R E S B E C T. Find out what it means to me. An and Clarice. It's time for our review. Following the rise of Aretha Franklin's career, from a child singing in her father's church choir to her international superstardom, Respect is a true story of the music icon's journey to find her voice. Directed by Liesl Tommy, it stars Jennifer as Aretha, Ferris Whitaker, and Marlon Wayne. This is Comes Hot to the Heels of the Billie Holiday. How do we think this kind of story plays out and the way it tells her life story and mon?
2: Yeah, I was a bit mixed on it. Um, it's not quite cradle to the grave, but they obviously spend a lot of time um like a significant amount of time i think 15 to 20 minutes on so a very very younger avitha before uh we transition to uh jennifer hudson's interpretation of the character and i'm always a little bit wary of that um because i prefer in biopics the, the selma approach which is to focus on one aspect of this amazing person which you are uh chronicling and sort of uh, focus on that and understand how how that aspect of the character informed the whole. Um, mm. I, I I and with this they are you know going the opposite route and again trying to go through and hit a lot of significant things that happen in Aretha's life. And I think when you do that, it just feels very very basic. And I think you know the best thing you could say about this film is that it's functional. Um, it works in the classical biopic sense. But Aretha was not a basic woman by any stretch of the imagination. There's a lot of really interesting edges to her. And I don't feel like this film uh, gave that its just due. And mm. for a person like Aretha Franklin, the goddess of soul, that's a disappointment.
0: Yeah, I think Amon makes a good point about when you focus on one thing, you can get t- deeper whereas with this it seems like you're trying to pack too much in and therefore you skin the surface
1: it's also the the trying to apply a framework to somebody's life and one thing that really frustrates me about this kind of biopic is like (laughs) turning a human being into a motivational poster because obviously Mm. you know the song is respect like we want to end on that or um um think you know these really sort of like empowering anthems of womanhood and so the film kind of takes those moments as endpoints. i mean it's not even the end of the movie but sort of the big moments and tries to to graft her her life around that and what really bothered me about this movie is how it depicted the abuse that she suffered through her life because um you know she started out in the very like controlling grip of her father who who you know was it was abusive? was emotionally and physically abusive. There's a scene where he slaps her in front of, you know, record producers, musicians. Mm-hmm. So to to sort of escape from his grip, she you know goes to to Ted White to Marlon Wayans, who, and then is also physically and emotionally abusive. And you know that is really sadly a very common thing. You know the sort of cycles of abuse, and it's really hard for someone to to get free of that it's it's kind of a a lifelong thing sometimes um and because it was to end on like a really optimistic great no it's all about her escaping from from Ted White and empowering and I'm free of him and there's a scene where she's like I'm taking the trash out and everyone goes yay but then it's like the dad is completely forgiven by the end of the movie and I yeah. found that so troublesome it's like I I get that you wanted to end triumphantly but to say oh well you know the dad wasn't quite the dad only slapped her the husband punched her so you know we can forgive him I I it really bothered me
0: the early scene, when you, I mean, she had two kids by the time mm. she was 16 years old. You know, there's, there's, they, they kind of hint at that, that, how that potentially happened. But actually, when you read into what, the, the truth of what happened, that scene was just basically uh, designed for the film. You basically just contrived a whole scene that actually is not reflective of the experience. And this is the problem. You're trying to streamline her life. You're trying to not go in, not show the nitty gritty. Like, as you said, Clarice, there's a lot of flawed people in her life, but it never tries to interrogate them at Mm. all. It's all like, okay, we want to, we need to hit these beats. We need to hit these songs and hit these moments. She supported Angela Davis. Before that, she supports Martin Luther King. You know, they keep on bringing up her demons. Where's the conversation about those demons? It's not just her drinking. Like, let's, let's spend a bit of time on that. It refuses to do that um, in order, just so it can end with her. Hey, I got, I made it, amazing grace. Um, yeah. And I suppose for me, one thing, I mean, didn't help is I, I felt the direction of this was just very melodramatic, to the point of just corniness. And, Mon, how did you feel, you know, compared with this kind of script? How do you mm. think the performance and the direction helped or hindered it?
2: It's a tough one because. Aretha Franklin there's just you know exactly one person who comes along and is an Aretha Franklin that's Aretha Franklin and as talented as Jennifer Hudson is as talented as Cynthia Erivo is they are not her um and you know the music is still the music uh, and it will always you know bang and you know even though it is a very again like basic uh, musical biopic cliche as somebody who likes creativity and likes seeing the beginnings of things come together, that still worked for me, because I did that a couple of times in terms of, oh, here's the first of the notes of respect and how that comes together. And I did that a couple of times with the other Ether songs. Um, Those are the just, most
0: authentic scenes, I think.
2: Yeah, no, I, I like that. I, 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 like, I like scenes like that. You mentioned Amazing Grace uh, earlier, and it just made me think of the documentary from like, a couple of years back. And it's just so good. I mean, watching that film, I was in a screening room. It felt like I was in church in a good way. Um, (laughs) And that is solely down to Aretha. And I got glimpses of that at times in Jennifer Hudson's performance when she's singing, um, because there are times when she's singing at a church. Um, But it wasn't nearly as powerful as the real thing, unfortunately.
1: I I think Jennifer Hudson, for me, did a very good job of performing the Aretha that was in the script because it's not she's not really doing a full impersonation it feels more like the image I had in my head is like the actor's version of laying flowers at a grave like there's something very respectful and loving about her performance and you can tell like how much of an impact Aretha Franklin has had on her own career and so yeah I know I, I, I liked her performance and obviously Jennifer Hudson's singing voice is beautiful um But yeah, I think maybe that was the wrong performance for this film because the film was so inauthentic that also having an actor who's kind of not really doing an impersonation, sort of doing their own thing, in the end it does, like, you you lose Aretha in the movie.
0: (laughs) For me, it made me question if Jennifer Hudson could ever act, to be honest. It felt, Hot take
2: Hannah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong, she's a great singer, and I think when she's you know at the pulpit, when she's you know in the room, when she's knocking out belting out those tunes, you feel every bit of emotion, you know exactly what she's saying. She's a very evocative singer. Everything else, where there wasn't any music involved, it felt flat, it felt like she was a waxworks, it felt very self conscious as though she was spending so much energy. Trying to nail the accent and nail the public, you know, she's obviously been studying a lot of videos. But I think you have to show that the person who Aretha was is not the person you see on screen, because who she really was is behind, is like behind that, and she wouldn't have acted. I, I think that's the point that like we present a different self when we're on on camera, mm. and I think she 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 failed. You could see the cogs whirring. And I just felt, yeah, every moment that demanded a little bit of nuanced emotional kind of, you know, it just it just did not hit for me. And the same for this is, you know, not to single her out. I pretty much saw every single bit in this. And I think this is a directional bit. I think, you know, Liesl Tommy is a theatre director and there's a specific style of theatre direction, which allows for a bit of, I suppose, unnaturalistic, somewhat kind of over the top. A little bit more melodrama and it works on stage but I think in this sort of film where you're trying to be as realistic <laughs> as possible it just felt too much I mean I was just cringing at every scene that uh, Marlon Wayans was in when he was like mm-hmm. chatting her up you know this weird Obama voice that he did um <laughs> it just just didn't work for me um, for, and I think Forrest. Was, I mean, for me, the best person in it was like Audra McDonald, and she. I really enjoyed those little bits. But again, most of the time she's just singing. Um, ty, uh, Titus Burgess, like it was very okay. very hammy. <laughs> it was. It was just. Can I was say like about still Bur- play. <laughs> it was like his character, in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, had been cast in this role, and that's what he was doing.
1: My problem was that the last thing I'd seen him in was the the charity recording they did of the tiktok ratatouille musical <laughs> <laughs> and so every time he was on screen my little brain kept going remy the ratatouille
2: and now your squad cast name makes sense
1: <laughs> yeah that's why i'm called yeah. remy the ratatouille today because i couldn't couldn't stop thinking about that musical <laughs> Really, so it's not titus burgess's fault it's my fault my mm-hmm. brain is stupid <laughs> well it's
0: his fault for that performance and maybe tommy uh, uh Liesl told me for the direction but it just yeah it all felt just very generic and inauthentic to me I, I also feel my, my big maybe this is another hot take and you can show you thing, but Angela Bassett when she did Tina Turner she lip-synced and What's Love Got To Do With It is a fantastic biopic I'm mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of feel this kind of need for the person to actually sing I need an actor first because unless unless you've got an actor who's able to deliver it, I can take someone lip-syncing. I don't mind that. You know, I think the least offensive thing in Bohemian Rhapsody was the fact that mm. uh Rami uh, Malek Rami, Rami was lip-syncing. So I think this kind of need to have an actual really good singer who will never, and again, as you said, Aman, Cynthia and, and Jennifer are phenomenal singers, but are not Aretha Franklin, and it never sounds like a Aretha Franklin. So I would rather have a really outstanding actor, Dominique Fishback. I looked at this film and thought, oh, she she could look like an Aretha. She looks like an Aretha more, and I wonder what she would have done with that because I think she's a great actress.
2: It's interesting. Like, I think you need both. And when I think of like the best you no know, musical biopic in recent memory, my mind immediately goes to Rocket Man. And Tyron Edgerton was fantastic in that, both in the acting side of it and on the singing side of it, I thought. And you do, when it comes to barfas like this, if you can get um, you know, close with both. Obviously, I think the acting side, I agree with you in that that's more important. But there needs to be some singing element there. I would rather have an actor who can sing rather than an actor who lip syncs. All these
0: but, films. but I suppose, okay, this is the ultimatum. Would you rather have in a musical biopic an actor who can't sing at all but is an amazing actor, and a lip sync, or an act, or another performer who's a singer is amazing at singing but can't act for shit? That's your if, ultimatum.
2: If if those are my options, I'd rather have the actor. But no, I'm saying I'm making a third option that's saying acting and singing. That's the answer.
0: I think.
1: Yeah. Please. I I feel like the thing I measure all biopics and uh, this is a cheesy answer but I love Walk the Line I think that to me is the pinnacle of musical biopics and they kind of did a good like compromise there where you know Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon aren't like you know super they're not pop stars <laughs> uh, but even though look musically maybe they're not hitting all the notes right but they got the emotion of of June and Johnny Cash. And so I really like listening to their versions of the songs because they perform it as is necessary for the scene, if that makes sense. So I I think there is some advantage to having, you know, like vocals in, in a music biopic, but I think what's more important to me is less like the technical quality of the voice and more, can they capture the essence of the character? uh, And, you know, walk the light. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah the thing is i love vault the Line. and then i realized that they whitewashed uh johnny cash's first wife
1: oh they, yeah because, yeah I yeah read about so that's that kind of gone down in my
0: that's kind of made me like slightly disappointed with that now yeah They've cast jennifer goodwin so bad hollywood anyway um amon uh, so we've got screen stream or skip
2: i'm gonna say skip and watch amazing grace instead
1: yeah, I'm leaning towards skip unless like you are a massive fan of Aretha Franklin or Jennifer Hudson, and it's like this feels essential. Otherwise, maybe skip.
0: Um, I will say skip, especially if you are a massive fan of Aretha Franklin. <laughs> 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 yeah, don't do that to yourself. Um, same with a mom. Watch Amazing Grace. So yeah. So from her queen to herself, this is herself. What can I do for you? I want to build a house. These are some (laughs) of the vacant sites that you have. You see, if you lend me the money and let me use a site, then I could have that built for me and my kids. I'm really sorry. I can't help you with this. We can't go on like this. Just keep telling yourself
2: it's temporary.
1: Sorry, guys.
2: Late three times, and you got your kids here,
0: John. Please, we need this job. Hey!
2: What are we doing, Sandra? Do you think this is good for the girls? I've seen a counsellor. We could try and make it work. <gasps> Mama Mia, the debut of Phillipa Lloyd. My my, this is now her third film.
1: <laughs> the second was Iron <laughs> Ladies. I know, I (laughs) remember that.
2: We are just gonna ignore that. (laughs) So herself is about single mother Sandra, who has been struggling to get by with her two young daughters. After the housing system refuses to give her a new home, Sandra decides to build her own with the help of a friendly community and a handful of new friends. With this new purpose, Sandra rediscovers herself, that is, until her abusive ex-husband, sues her for the custody of the children it's directed by phila deloitte and the film stars and was co-written by claire dunn uh we it's going to come to you first here what did you make of herself
1: i really liked this um i think it strikes that really hard but but kind of beautiful balance between a film that is rousing and feel good and you know it's got there's a montage to titanium (laughs) it's that (laughs) kind of vibe um but it doesn't ignore the real issues at hand because a half of this is inspiring story of woman who builds her own home um and the community all pitches in and it's really lovely aren't people nice and then the the second half of this movie is also um really like rightfully scathing about how we treat survivors of abuse in society and and how specifically like the welfare system i mean it's ireland but really it's everywhere (laughs) uh treats uh abuse survivors and there's some like really horrific scenes where it's like because of the the co-parenting situation she on a weekly basis has to go and stand in front of the man who abused her and relive that trauma and we see it through flashbacks. And I think those touches and there's a scene where she, she's trying to get a new house and she turns up to the viewing and the queue is around the block. Oh, and guess who gets it? Some like middle-class couple who are probably going to develop it into some shitty Airbnb, you know, it's (laughs) (laughs) like there's, there's so many of these, these really um, moving touches, like the stuff that adds this layer of, of pure humanity to it and um like i really appreciate i like that balance it's good more movies should do that
2: yeah i i i agree that the way in which it shows the psychological abuse especially was very very impactful uh hannah what did you uh make of the way in which the film depicted abuse and the balance that clues is referring to
0: yeah i think the opening sequence was one of the most terrifying things claire dunn someone who i actually discovered um, kind of last summer um, during lockdown because my my boyfriend and i were watching a lot of national theatre stuff and phyllida lloyd did this kind of uh, three uh, i suppose p- productions of all female shakespeare so they did uh, the tempest julius caesar and like i think it was like um, uh, richard or oh, henry v, i don't know what, what that like <laughs> one of the one of the history ones well but 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 it was so and it had Harriet Walters in uh, who's in this and it had Claire Dunn she's so amazing and so to see kind of those people guys come into herself clearly what's clear about it is they've got a really good shorthand with each other to understand to bring it out to kind of creatively work together and I think actually the, the pacing of this is really well done it's got these kind of ebbs and flows but it's also got this kind of you know moments of levity that are needed to kind of bring you out of the despair and the just just sheer frustration um, and I love a courtroom climax um, but yeah I really enjoyed it. I think Kitchen Sink this is you know it kind of speaks to kind of like secrets and lies and you kind of you look at Mike Lee and like Ken Loach mm. and Andrew Arnold I think this kind of fits in but I think it's a little bit more I don't know maybe a little bit more uplifting even though it's quite despairing but yeah I just found it to be a powder keg of a movie
2: yeah yeah no Ken Loach is definitely a name I thought about while watching this and I just I really appreciated you know, the messiness of the story because it could have very easily been we're just going to focus on building a house, we're going to show this scene of abuse, we're not going to show Gary again, uh, that would be the last time he interjects in the story, but the way in which Gary tries to weasel his way back into her life and the effect that that has on her, it's very thorny, it's very messy, it's very authentic and real, and I think the film hits harder because of it.
0: He remind me of Trevor from EastEnders. Do you remember? Did you watch EastEnders?
2: No.
0: Okay, this is the one for the EastEnders fans. <laughs> but for EastEnders fans who used to watch it back in the day when it was like Mo, then it's Slater's, and she ends up killing him with a, I think, an iron. But like he, that menace. I think that guy who played Gary. I forgot his name, but he had serious Trevor energy.
1: I th- I think it's so easy for stories, and I see this so often that. It ends with the person leaving the the abusive situation, and you go, "Yay, they won, they're gone, everything's great now." When like that's not true. Like there's always an aftermath and an aftershock of that. And I really appreciate a movie actually dealing with that and going, "No, there's stuff happens afterwards. You don't just leave and it's great and everything's fantastic." It's like she she has to you go through first of all like the legal process of it and also deal with the psychological aftermath of it uh, mm. and yeah just not uh, not enough storytellers explore that area and i think, feel like it's an important one to explore
0: and i think that's what i think that's the reality of life you know not everything is it leads towards this made perfect happy ending sometimes you still get fucked over but it's about picking yourself up again Um, And I think this film basically breaks your heart and then puts it back together again several times.
2: Agree. Uh, And on that note, the time has come uh, for our screen, stream, or skip recommendations on herself. Clarice.
1: Screen. Go watch it at the cinema. Yay. (laughs) If you can, if you can watch it at the cinema, go watch it at the cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah. Screen,
2: 100%. <laughs> and it's a screen from me as well. Uh, I really like this film. Uh, we're going from a house to a shop. More specifically, a cop shop. I'm invisible, that's where I'm gonna be. But I got feet all over me, I'm not telling you where I am. <laughs> what are you gonna arrest me? are you people, please arrest
1: me. You're under arrest. So why were
2: you looking to get
1: locked up, Theodore? Everyone's trying to kill me. He nearly killed us. What'd you do? I did what I had to do to get to you, Teddy. I'll take you to the cop shop. (laughs) Go ahead, Gerard, don't you (laughs) stop. Uh, This is Cop Shop. I, unfortunately, because of my own um, incapability to answer emails on time, (laughs) was not able to see Cop Shop. (laughs) Uh, But I'm going to read you the synopsis, which I'm very confused by this synopsis, so I'm going to need you guys to explain it to me afterwards. (laughs) So here it goes. Screaming through the Nevada desert in a bullet ridden Crown Vic. Wily con artist Teddy Moretto hatches a desperate plan to hide out from the lethal hitman Bob Vidick. He sucker punches rookie officer Valerie Young to get himself arrested and locked up in a small town police station but jail can't protect Moretto for long. (laughs) Fiddick schemes his own way into detention, binding his time in a nearby cell until he can complete his mission. Uh, This is directed by Joe Carterhan and the film stars Gerard Butler, Frank Grillo and Alexis Lauder. Right, who wants to go first and explain to me what this movie is because I'm so confused. Uh,
2: Can I I just say the synopsis was good, the delivery was better. Uh, (laughs) So that just made everything better. Like, I I want to watch the film again now because of that. That was awesome. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so basically, let me see if I can break this down for you. Frank Grillo plays the con artist Teddy Moretto. And he's basically on the run. There's a lot of people after him. So he has the bright idea to uh, sucker punch uh, an officer to get himself arrested and sequestered away and get get himself away from all the people who are after him. Unfortunately... Uh, you know, Bob Riddick, uh, played by Gerard uh, Butler, he witnesses this and hatches his own plan to get close to uh, Frank Grillo by faking a DUI to get himself in the cell next to him. Does that make more sense?
0: It's basically assault on sick 13
1: okay <laughs> so this movie is directed by joe Carnahan, who he, like he did that wolf movie with liam neeson <laughs> I think it's called the gray where liam neeson fights the wolves he did like smoking aces the a-team i mean i would argue he has a, a particular style but what what is the vibe of cop shop
0: well, I haven't seen The Grey, but Smoking Aces and, like, The A-Team, it seems like this kind of uh, underdog circumstances, people trying to get themselves out of a gunfight, and very stylized, very 70s crime thriller-esque, you know. Even, like, even like Frank Grillo, his cool character, there's, it, it might be 70s, but there's also something of, like, the Robert Rodriguez about... Um, you know, because he's got like the, the way he looks, he reminds me of like Antonio Banderas, and <laughs> like you know, it's kind of like i um, this out this kind of outlaw type of dude. But actually, I think it's got quite a modern sensibility in a sense, and I think you get that most through Ale- Alexis Lounders' character, who plays like the pretty mu- the only woman, <laughs> well, the se- second the only main woman mm. in the film in a film that's got lots of men, yeah. um, and she plays the kind of millennial rookie cop who basically has to, like, save the day while everything's getting killed all around her. Um, and she kind of, she's your kind of way in. She's your, your your her. She's your kind of, like, moral, the moral compass of the film, which has got a lot of people who are just... I Jeremy Butler, for me, when he's doing that, is he naughty? Is he nice? I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I kind of like that. And, like, Frank Will as well, with his, like, man bun. <laughs> he, like, t- <laughs> classic thing, right? I'm sorry, but there's a moment in it really reminds me of, like, of poor Ragnarok where, you know, when, like he has, he's got this long hair and he ties it up in a bun. It's like, yeah, good, good thinking, dude. Tie your man bun up, tie your hair, get it out of your face. And then there's a bit later on where he kind of like, has his like a new action scene and he takes his hair out. And it reminds me like when Valkyries like, had this amazing, like amazing plaited hair look. And then suddenly to actually do the main battle, I'm going to take all my long hair out and it's going to flip in my face and oh, it's in my mouth.
2: The, the key thing you're forgetting in both of those scenes is they do it in slow motion. And yes! that makes
0: everything yes, exactly. better. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's kind of like very, very stylized. It's got very, he's obviously got a keen interest in a very specific um, like moment in like cinematic history, the kind of, that sort of like outlawish, um, kind of sensibility and feel that we've kind of seen that you know Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino have brought that element through and I think he's trying to cry and create that and actually you mentioned smoking Aces. but film I haven't seen ages but that's in a way that's got that's probably the closest I would say to this film because it's like them if I remember it rightly it's like <laughs> Ryan Reynolds and someone else trying to like get out of basically get out of a, survive a whole thing in a hotel is that and it's like sh- there's lots of shooting and lots of fire and there's lots of people getting shot in this film body count is
1: high yeah Mon, could yeah. you uh, t- tell me a little bit more about the action sequences like are there is it good yeah. good action
2: <laughs> it is good action It is good action i i enjoyed it for the most part i think that the budget starts to show a little bit in the third act um but by and large it's really really good um and not just because of the action itself but the characters at in in the thick of it um i think they are Each character's dynamic bounces off the other in a really interesting way. I like Gerard Butler in that, (laughs) even though there's a lot of crazy stuff going on around him, both he and Alexis Lauda's uh, cop, they're very cool, calm, and collected. Their voice barely goes over this sort of timbre the entire film. And I really like that. Uh, I think it really sort of adds a lot to their character. And then on the flip side of that, (laughs) you've got Toby Huss, who I love because I watched this uh, really great show called Halt and Catch Fire. And, uh, and, he, and he was a great sort of uh, part of that show. But he comes in, he is the psycho uh, assassin who comes into the precinct with like kiddie balloons. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. He, his energy is completely wild and different to everything else going on, but it sort of works. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I really sort of you know, like how he bounces off the other characters too. So my only sort of you know, main issue with the action is that on the one hand, you know, it's very, very clear on what the impact of a bullet can do to the human body, especially with one character. And then on the other hand, there's a lot that happens in the third act, and I'm not going to get too specific here, but it, some, it feels like it forgets what the impact of a bullet could do to the human body at times, because without, again, getting spoilers, there are plenty of fake outs that have me going huh? (laughs) Uh, So, so yeah, I don't think the two's kind of, if, if, if it had stuck with one or the other, the other way, the whole way through, then maybe I could have bought that. But the fact that it clearly sort of has different rules for different circumstances didn't really work for me. So
1: let's wrap this up with a screen stream or skip. And also tell me like where in the Gerard Butler uh, <laughs> canon. Does this oh, fit in? Yeah. So Hannah, do you want to go first?
0: Hmm, because I love me some Butler. It's <laughs> certainly. Where would I put it? I think it's 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 kind of um, on the level uh, in between, maybe the first. Um, what is it? Angels Fallen.
2: Olympus has fallen.
0: Like, was that the first one? Yeah, yeah. I think Angel oh, was yeah. the London yeah, one, wasn't it? Angels the last one. Olympus has fallen because its Olympus is the White House. Oh like yeah. yeah. Me of that one. Oh yeah, Angel's <laughs> the last one. So <laughs> I think it's I think it is actually above that.
2: Ooh.
0: But maybe like I'm trying to think what other
1: ones he's done that I quite enjoy. But like Geostorm.
2: Oh wow <laughs> 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 That's like Geostorm. low.
0: Geostorm's very low. Um, but I, I think it may be like that in between that and maybe like Coriolanus. Okay,
1: okay. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's, I honestly, I had. I went into Cop Shop pretty cold and I came out feeling that was surprisingly enjoyable. I had a lot of fun with it. And for that probably reason, I would probably say screen.
2: Um, I'm going to say it's below Olympus is fallen, but it's better than Gods of Egypt. Um... <laughs>
0: I mean, uh, Gods of Egypt is literally in hell. <laughs>
2: I would say like, you know, the most impressed I've been with uh, Gerard lately, uh, we didn't, I'm not sure if we reviewed this back in the day, but Greenland, Greenland was awesome. I really, really yeah. liked that. I really liked his performance in that. Uh, I didn't expect- I liked
0: it better than Greenland.
2: Really? Wow. Yeah. Interesting. That's a big statement. I
0: like that sensibility. You know, I quite enjoy a, a, like a gunfight that's done in a very, you know, very simple. It's like one place. It's not, it's not trying to kind of have this multi, you know, because I think everything is getting a bit outlandish. You know quite a lot, and I quite like these can be self contained. Where hey, it's the last one's a one standing situation, I think they're quite fun.
2: Interesting, um, yeah. Now, I, I would say stream, uh, in all of this, and you know, we didn't really talk about her much, but I really dug Alexis Lowder's performance in this, mm, uh, I thought yeah. she was really, really great.
0: There's a really sorry, just to add, there's a really great scene, and I loved it. And it kind of just showed she's a very, she's very Ripley esque, mm. uh, strong female character. She, there's a really good scene where she's trying to, she's basically, she's got to get into this space, and she's like being very, you know, concentrating and used being logical. There's no emotion, it's just her, i just got to get this done. And it just was really nerve-wracking. I think that's probably one of my favourite um, sequences in the film and that doesn't even involve, you know, it has gunfire, but it's actually more about her. And I think mm. it really really says a lot about her character in that situation. I like, quite enjoyed it.
1: Interesting. Mm. I think you guys have convinced me to, to check it out. I'm liking all you're saying. But we're going to see next, I guess, if we can convince our listeners whether or not to watch Copilot which I know is a very similar name to Cop Shop. They're very different films. Let's just be clear about this. But this is Copilot. pilot Spin it, man.
2: Truth.
0: What's the most dangerous thing you've done?
2: I know we just met beliefs. each other, but...
1: It comes from my heart, and I worked so hard to
0: find it. We're reviewing this film um, on a quite poignant day, considering it's September 11th. It was no coincidence that uh, the PR and distributors wanted to release it this weekend. And, you know, considering, what, it's been 20 20 years now uh, since the 9-11 attacks, Um, I think especially the amount of, I suppose, films, TV shows that have covered, you know, you know, we've had from, World Trade Center to 1993, there's been several kind of installments of kind of looking at what happened that day and people involved. Um, But I think often we, we we often focus on one specific side of it. We don't look behind it. We don't try to understand why these people committed these heinous acts? what could lead to it? because, as with you know Nazi Germany, people aren't born evil, people you know often are kind of radicalized um and so I think it's important that we have films that kind of offer that different perspective um and so we're here with copilot with this film, we're getting the question of what do you do when the person you love transform into someone you no longer recognize. Um, that's the heart of this film, um, directed and written by anne Barashad, Um, And it's inspired by the true story of 9-11 terrorist uh, Zaya Jarrah and his girlfriend, Aizal Sengen. But this is basically from her perspective. When sharp science student Asli meets charismatic Saeed in the mid-90s, it's love at first sight. Lovers marry, and Asli swears to be true to... Saeed and never betray secrets their future looks bright but as a 21st century dawn Saeed makes a decision that will not only shatter her dreams but shake the whole world to the core. It stars Kanan Keir and Roger Azzer. What do you think works in the sense of how this story has been presented and I suppose taking away from the more obvious choice of making this firmly about the terrorist act and actually focus it on maybe the years that could lead up to it?
1: Well, I think that's what I found so moving about this film is that it is all too it's all too easy to hyper focus on that aspect because that's the sort of headline making you know part of this movie is that you know it's inspired by this real person um, but I think the way that it's presented and the way that Bereshad creates this movie its it's about something very universal which is finding out that the person that you love is not the person that you thought they were, that they've been hiding something from you or that they have changed in some way over the course of the relationship and there's not really anything you can do about it. And that's a really heartbreaking feeling that is obviously amplified by, you know, the specific circumstances of this story. Um, But as you said, like, I, I really liked your introduction to the saying about, like, it's important. It's important for us to understand the circumstances and the context and and i think people sometimes get like their haunches up a little bit about it because they think that that equates to us um sympathizing or like forgiving those people and it's not about that at all it's it's about recognizing like you know recognizing these things so that you know we can make it not happen again in the future and in uh in any circumstance or any context um and and so I really yeah I just I thought this was such a, a heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking movie, but like really beautifully put together and um I really liked the performances as well. I think specifically Roger Azar, which is obviously a really tough role to play, but the way that his character almost imperceptibly changes over the course of the film felt rang so true to me because when uh, people are radicalized. It it, you know it's not kind of an overnight thing. It can change very subtly, and and they can hide it, and then, you know, you see a lot of um. I I I know that you see a lot in reports like after sort of terrorist attacks or or shoot any kind of shooting happens, the family go, "We had no idea," and it's like, well, this is a great example of understanding how that happens, because it can be subtle, and it can be quiet, and it can be insidious, and. it's such it's such a smart way of putting this forward
0: i I kind of for me this is this is a film that feels plays out more like a love story it actually reminds me of that film like crazy uh with anton yelchin and felicity jones and i think the structure of it where it plays out over five years and we have these kind of Mm. sequences how do you think amon like how do you think that worked in a way to kind of really just connect with these people and see it as this uh, This is a romantic epic, uh, not epic, but uh, this is fundamentally about human emotions
2: Yeah, I really liked it, I think it worked fantastically well, um, and the key word um, that I took from what Clarice just said is understanding, that's sort of what this whole film's about, and you don't get that if that initial connection between those two characters and those two actors isn't as strong as it is in those first Uh, in that first year. Um, Because you are rooting for this couple all the way through, regardless of what um, Saeed uh, has gone through and sort of how much he's changed. Like, there's a flight which they go on later on in the film, and you can tell that, you know, there's still a lot of love there, and you almost want to put out your mind the changes that saeed has gone through because you want these two to be together and that's like that's that's the core of a really great um sort of romantic story i think that's very very clever in how they've done that and i think this is a film that's really important in some respects because you know it wasn't just the 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 world the world changed in a big way um after those attacks not least in the media and how they sort of demonized um uh, Arabs on screen. I think of like things like even like 24, uh, which is a show that I have intermittently liked, but the way in which um, they've depicted uh, certain characters in shows like that, and that was far from the only one. We even had it in what was that Joseph Gordon Levitt film um, that he came out with oh, recently? Yeah, yeah,
0: the one you know, I absolutely hate. Yeah, it's still. 9701 or something like that. Yeah,
2: it's still happening in media today. So a story like this, which frames it from a different perspective in lieu of understanding and preventing future stuff from happening i think is is really really important i i I only wish that we would gotten that that we've had it sooner um but i'm glad that we are now in a space where these sort of stories can be told
0: Mm. and i think for me i really enjoy the fact that it's quite non-judgmental um Mm. you know and also the focus was less on saeed and more about how asli responds to it like she she's she's just in love and she's not overtly religious you know and I think there's interest in the play between the fact that he, you know she's Turkish and he's Arab and there's because of like his history there's kind of a you know uh it's quite there's a tension there anyway um and 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 I think you know you said it earlier, it's like for me Saeed at the beginning like I got butterflies like he's got these like curtains and it's like oh my god you could give Jared Leto and the so called <laughs> life, like a run for his money. Like, it's charismatic there's a charisma there. And I think if you're gonna you know, I as you mentioned, um, Amon, there are we can't move for bloody stories about terrorists and often the you know only act roles that people who are Middle Eastern or, you know, Arab or get are those roles where mm. this is one where, okay, we're gonna take it back and we're gonna give you a full picture. Mm. We're gonna give you a full depth rather than you just dehumanize someone and so you kinda of see them as these evil figures. Um, I think part of what I loved about this though and what was interesting, what I discovered was the cinematography was just was done by christopher um Aoun, who did capaneum and also did the man who sold his skin and i think part i think the way that it kind of keeps a very close hold on them it just feels so grounded and just with them you feel it's very intimate i felt with it um it's
1: interesting that you brought up like crazy which is um such a great like romance drama. <laughs> I love that
0: film. I fell in love with Anton Yelchin in oh that god. film. my um, god!
1: But yeah, there there is something almost semi-conventional about it at the beginning because it's about the the two people falling in love. But there's an impossibility because the her her mother doesn't approve, doesn't want them to be together, so they have to hide it. And it, it's so I don't know. It's just really interesting to me to to see. The movie start off from from that side, and the way that the people around them are, are like constantly judging their relationship, and there is there is a toxicity there from the very beginning. I don't know. There's something about it just provides this like really interesting context to the rest of the story, and to their relationship, and to her, her reactions to it, to the reasons, and. Yeah, it's like as you said, like I think the label like terrorist wife, you know, you fucking splat that on the Daily Mail, and people are gonna have a certain reaction to it. <laughs> so I think to see it so through her eyes, and to see her like the her heartbreak, I think that's what's so beautifully depicted in this because she fought so hard for this relationship at the beginning, and then to have that happen, it's like you know it's like I can't even put it into words how how awful an experience that is for a woman to go through for a person to go through um and and so yeah I, I think that the framework of all the people around her, like the constant judgment just kind of adds to that in in a very yeah really interesting way sorry I keep saying interesting but it, it yeah, is, it is. <laughs> it's quite,
0: subtle. It's quite subtle would you say come on it's not over it's not
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and yeah, you know, as Chris said, it's all about it's all in service of getting a full picture of uh, this perspective. And there's a key line which uh, came, out, came which came to mind while Chris was talking. Um, there's a there's a moment um, where uh, as he sort of says that you know, she still loves him because and you know this other guy who's trying to sort of you know, counsel him and tell her to leave him, uh, and and she's like, you, you you don't know what it feels like. And that line really sort of stuck with me. Um, and again, that doesn't resonate unless we feel the love through the screen. And we absolutely do. Um, so, yeah, it's really good.
0: Let's do, do our verdict. So, we're going to say screen, stream, or skip. Clarice.
1: Screen. Definitely screen.
2: Screen.
0: And that's a screen from me. So, yeah, screen this film. And cast more people of Middle East and North Africa centre movies, please, thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, but one of the films we did not get to see before release uh, was Malignant. Um, Clarice, you got you got, you got the, the specific de- details from the PR explaining why they didn't want you to <laughs> why they were not going to give critic screenings.
1: Yeah, so look, sometimes this happens that uh, a studio will make a decision not to hold screenings. that prerogative. And and they say stated some mostly they don't give you a reason, but they stated in this instance it's because they want to preserve I think the what the, it was the twists and turns,
0: yeah. <laughs> preserve the
1: twists and turns, which like I, PRs always love to say twists and turns, and I really like that phrase <laughs> mm. of the film. So yeah, no critics in the UK were able to see it. I believe there may have been like one screening in the US. I did see some pre-release reviews of this, but certainly in the UK the situation was no screenings, no reviews. Yeah, not of yours. yeah and,
0: the, and I I ended up. Buying a ticket to see it, I saw it at Sydney World Leicester Square on uh, Friday morning at ten forty AM. So, fire review for Empire, <laughs> and um, I, in a way, I kind of get what they were saying about the twists and turns. And I've noticed in a lot of reviews since they've given away a lot of plot detail, which I avoided. Um, but what I'm surprised about, even when a film is actually getting, yeah, as we've seen, the response to it has been pretty great online. I think there's like I think I saw like sixty-five reviews were listed on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and pretty much like 75% of the, it's like on 75%, I think so, or not. So I suppose for our hot take this week, you know, we wanna look at whether, I mean, this is kind of like an existential question <laughs> for, for us as film critics, but if something like Malignant happens and it goes on to having success, obviously it's also been released on HBO at the same time. So the question is how are films that aren't reviewed impacted? Is there an impact? Does it benefit? Um, Do we we have a purpose? Shall we continue? Should we just end this podcast now? What does it say about potentially the future of film releasing and the role of the critic as well?
2: I think we have to take this on a case by case basis. Um, is the very diplomatic answer, <laughs> I guess. Too. But like, you know, James Wan, he does her, you know, he has earned himself a reputation uh, through his previous films that there is some name recognition there um, uh, for people to uh, check out a film like Renegade. I think the best purpose uh, critics can serve is uplifting a film that doesn't have that name recognition attached to it, Um uh, like 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 a co-pilot, for instance, um, and you know, ma- and and get that some recognition and maybe sort of inspire us to check it out. I think that is um, the not the ultimate purpose, but it's it's one of the best things we can do as a critic. And I feel like uh, in that respect, we still matter. There's certain films that are critic proof. Like you know, obviously, it's nice that we you know, get. Advanced screeners of a Marvel thing or a Marvel TV show or a Marvel film, but if there's no film critic reviews of a Marvel film or a Marvel TV show once they debut, in all likelihood, in a non-pandemic world, they're still making millions, billions of dollars. There's certain films like that where uh, you know a pre-release review from a critic um, is not entirely necessary, but I feel like when it comes to the lesser-known films, which don't have that name recognition, that brand behind them, then we are very necessary and very useful.
0: I think we'll compare that to something like The Cloverfield Paradox, if we remember, that got dropped mainly because it was shit um, Mm. on Netflix. So they kind of wanted to avoid warnings against it. So I suppose then, Clarice, like, you know, with malignant being a positive one, you know, is... Could we see that being a kind of new form of Like it's going to drop like every all these films are going to drop like Beyonce albums.
1: <laughs> it's. I think for me when we talk about the impact of critics, it's. I don't know if if the the star rating matters all that much. I mean, it does for smaller films. You know, I think a five like a five star review of a a smaller like a twenty four or twenty four is very big. <laughs> <laughs> like like a dog wolf documentary if you give it five stars that can make all the difference and and you know you can see how how sort of grateful people are <laughs> exactly yeah. like, I think that that makes a huge impact um but I think when we're talking about blockbusters I I don't know if that genuinely does shift the box office in any meaningful way I mean, Cat still made quite a lot of money, even yeah, though it got yeah, terrible somehow. reviews. I think the the relationship between the critic and the publicity side of the film is more just the the getting the word out, you know, yeah, like name recognition. All all news. What, what is the fuck? What's the phrase? All all news is good news, or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it just. I, I know that critics don't want to admit to this because we like to sit on my like sanctified throne of intellectual purity. But critics are part of the marketing machine. It is just the truth. It right yeah, now. It's
2: just very comfortable. Thank
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> like we, that's that's the reason that critics get to see these movies early. It's not out of the goodness of a studio's heart. It's because they want you to write the review, and the review yeah. being published on your site or in your newspaper helps remind people that the movie is coming out and I don't even think if the star rating matters
0: I also I I I don't know about you but I also think you know coming back to what you said earlier about the role you know about what our job is as a critic I think what the biggest thing about what we do is kind of having a dialogue with our readers who kind of enjoy I mean a lot of people I know they don't read reviews until after they've seen the film because then they want to see you know, I think a lot of our listeners would rather have seen the film. They can listen to us and say, "Oh yeah, I totally, that's, I agree." And they want either confirmation of what they what they thought or kind of seeing a different perspective. And I think for me, that's what that's the importance of having diverse critics as well. It's because you know you might see something that someone else hasn't seen in a film, and I love that. I love it when I even when I really don't agree with a cri- critics' perspective, I still appreciate that, recognizing that. So I suppose for me, you know, I just think you know. Of course, it's a marketing issue, a marketing you know, ploy, but it's also about us having this kind of wide discussion about film, film one of the most influential mediums in the world to affect, I think, to affect change. So for me, maybe my more like um, altruistic <laughs> view of this job is I like the idea that I can change, change opinions and hopefully kind of be an extension of even the message of the film if it's done well or actually kind of criticise you know, being able to criticize a film that might not hit, have not set, set what they wanted to say was either not said well or not delivered well. um So that's kind of my my my, my final thoughts on criticism. Clarice, Simon would you like some final thoughts?
1: um Yeah, I don't think our job is to like tell people don't go see this movie. <laughs> it's like <laughs> here's the vibe. Like this is the vibe yeah. of the movie. If that is of interest to you great <laughs> <laughs>
0: if not a vibe <laughs> yeah
1: like we're just putting yeah. out vibes that's what we do as a job <laughs> I'm, changing, I'm
2: changing my twitter bio My <laughs> putting out vibes film no, vibe. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I like that I like that and it's similar to what you were, you were alluding to earlier Hannah um, it's nice to have confirmation uh, about why you feel a certain way about the film Um. But in some respects, like having a different perspective can either sort of, you know, um get you to think about uh that film from a said perspective, or it can heighten your love of the film because you disagree with that perspective and you're like, okay, I get why you felt that like. I, I I get why you felt I get why you felt that way, but I understand why I feel uh, the way that I do as well, and that remains unchanged. I think that's a beautiful beautiful thing and it's uh frustrating that that's not always reflected in the online discourse because uh many many times, especially on film Twitter, it can get you know you know <laughs> for some reason there is a thing in people's heads that makes them think that a person dislikes a film because of some other reason other than their perspective on just disliking the film uh, which never really makes sense to me but when it does work, when the, when it can foster discussion, when it can foster additional thought um, about why you like or don't like a film, I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, and anything that we as film critics can do to uh, help that along, I think is really great.
0: And abolish the star rating system and institute screen, stream or <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and happy viewing by whatever medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate, and leave us a review if you love the podcast. It really does make a difference. And tweet us if you have something you love us to shout out next week. I do remember getting uh, a tweet from uh, Rachel. Um, who suggested i think we were doing like overhead screening room <laughs> she was like oh i love that section could i do it so we are, from this point on next time we're in a screening room we're going to keep our ears
1: pe-
2: peeled
0: for any potential <laughs> things that people say that we can quote on here um <laughs> uh, but yeah if you want to contact us use the hashtag theta and follow us i'm at hannah flint on twitter and at hannah Ines flint on instagram
2: uh, I'm at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram.
1: I am at Clarice Liu on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery on Instagram.
0: But before we go, we unfortunately have an in-memoriam moment, um, Amon.
2: Yeah, we lost Michael K. Williams this week, uh, who is an actor. You always sort of you know perk up when you realise he's going to be uh, in a film or a TV show because he was always that good. He always elevated everything he was in. Uh, from The Wire to Motherless Brooklyn. You know, I was looking at his filmography uh, once he passed, and it's so deep, and he was so versatile. Um, uh, I don't think, sort of, you know, enough people sort of uh, know that, so please go and check out his filmography. It's also just frustrating on another level in that we lost a really sort of iconic rapper, DMX, recently. And when it came to who might play him in a biopic, everyone agreed pretty much that, Michael K. Williams was one of the only guys who could really do it justice. Now we've lost him too. Uh, so that's just you know a bummer on that level as well. But he will definitely uh, be most uh, fantastic actor.
0: Yeah, we'll always have his characters. And honestly, addiction
2: <laughs> is,
0: is stealing from us so much. Clarice? Um, yeah.
1: Uh yeah, so it feels weird to be like let's compare these two people. I I, I just want to say that uh also uh Jean-Paul Belmondo uh, sadly passed away this week, and he was one of my absolute favorite French actors, you probably known from Abu de Soupe Breathless, the Jean-Luc Godard film. Uh, but I would also recommend uh checking out Leo Morin, Priest uh he was the original hot priest that's a guy from fleabag right yeah <laughs> he was the original hot priest a uh, fantastic movie fantastic actor and um i was very sad about that sad day
0: Ah uh, well farewell film friends it's time to fade to black